Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting, yes, exciting edition of Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, but we are oh so much more than that. We are Over the Ball with soccer journalist Sam Griswold and media executive Grail Hallett here at OTB. We take on the world of soccer, but from an American perspective and without an English accent. Go figure. Today on OTB, we check in with one of the top soccer journalists, perhaps in the world, arguably, and certainly here in the United States. Grant Wall will be our guest. Uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks in the world of soccer, and Grant has been just pumping out a bunch of articles of great interest to us here. One in particular of note, uh, he wrote a scathing article on Jurgen Klinsmann, quitting his latest coaching gig in Germany after just a couple of games, 10, I believe. And, um, and also Jurgen stating that if, if he was left in the position of manager for the U.S. men's national team, he would have gotten that team to the semifinals of the World Cup, not only qualified, but to the semifinals. Oh, Jurgi, das ist no gut. We beg to differ here at OTB. OTB is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for Soccer America's pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. It includes Soccer America Daily, Soccer on TV, Game Report, Soccer Talk, and SA Confidential Newsletters. Today's show is also brought to you by Ticket IQ. Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. Ticket IQ works directly with teams and other sellers to cut out the fat and offer a low price guarantee that gets you 200% of the difference if you find the same ticket for less on any other major sellers like StubHub. They actually will make up the difference. And you can also visit and register on TicketIQ.com or download their app in iTunes or Google Play. After you've registered, you can refer a friend and get $10 in ticket credit anytime one of your friends buys a service. So, uh, you're my friends, guys. Sam, Grail, uh, how are you, guys? Uh, I guess what we should talk about first, this is really big news. Uh, we're going to talk about this with Grant as well, but uh, Man City banned from Champions League, which has so many ramifications, so much money. Uh, what are your thoughts, guys? Yeah, well, two, the hammer was brought down by UEFA, two years, big punishment. Uh, Man City uh, is predictably defiant. They're, you know, they're going to appeal it. Uh, they their public face is that they don't think they're going to get anything, which I think is a total spin. And my, my gut tells me they'll get at least a year, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's massive. It has, you know, the, one of the top three clubs in the world getting this kind of penalty is, is a massive deal, you know, in terms of their ability to keep players and sign players and all sorts of things. So yeah, well, we'll talk to Grant about that yeah. uh, in, in a little bit as well. Uh, yeah, Sam, any, think, any thoughts? Yeah, I feel like you know one one titan has to fall here, right? We're at yeah. that point where there's no. I don't see a middle ground. I mean, if even if the middle ground is one year out of Champions League for City, that's still you know a pretty big defeat. Um, I, I just wonder about UEFA being able to follow through on this punishment. I mean, it's a huge statement. Um, and I think, you know, there's this kind of ongoing battle and discussion the last couple of years, you know, does UEFA, are they in charge of things or is it actually the clubs who kind of run things and are they going to break away and form their own league? And I feel like this is it all coming to a head right now. Yeah. And out, um, outside of the Etihad, Sam, nobody is shedding a tear. I no, mean, absolutely In, in fact, in fact I mean, Barcelona is kind of gleefully talking about it, which is driving Pep crazy. Yeah. Uh, his former club and uh, yeah all the other major clubs are like yeah it's about time of course be careful what you wish for 
Right. Because, yeah, I mean, because, because yeah. some of them could be next, you know. Goes That's around, good. comes around, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, you're right that everyone around Man City are, you know, super defiant. And, you know, you do wonder a little bit about, you know, the sort of old money elite, you know, kind of mm -hmm. keeping the, the upstarts down, you know, in terms of, you know, both PSG and Man City. PSG also had another uh, punishment come in, I think, just the other day. Um, so, you know, you do wonder about that a little bit behind the scenes, and that's certainly what the fans and the clubs will, will cling to. I think in an odd way, though, guys, it can be a real motivator for Pep with his team for this year's Champions League. You know, kind of let's go out and show them that it's not all about the money, that we have the talent <laughs> to win and we're not doing things uh, illegally. And uh, I, I could see Man City having a great run in the Champions League. Yeah, they'd be pissed. They'll play and, with yeah, a chip well, on their shoulder. Well, yeah. Pep's a great motivator. You know, he's mm -hmm. as good a motivator as any coach out there. And just saying it's kind of like us against the world. And, um, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see. Uh, I know, I know, Sam, they, they've gone down in terms of, the, you know, the, uh, the betters. Or Man City was also the uh, – was always the uh, favorite to win Champions League. And they've dipped a little bit there. But I could, I could definitely see this as being uh, – a way for them to make a run towards the final. Let me ask you guys a question, because I don't know you soccer savants. Uh, was Barcelona's problems right around the time when Pep was there, or was it post-Pep? In terms of because but, Because Barcelona would seem to be the, the ones who everybody took on with transfer questions and yeah. uh, you know payment issues and taxes and absolutely everything. They're having a problem. But that's why I thought you said Barcelona was like kind well, of no, happy well, somebody well, else in the spotlight. Well, 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 no, I think I think Barcelona, since Pep came from Barcelona, mm -hmm. it, it, they're, they're, uh, it's giving them a little bit of uh, added incentive, incentive to poke him a little bit in terms of, you know, right. the big, the former club just saying, hey, Man City, look, they don't think do things legally. And I think it really gets under his skin frankly. But, you know, I, th I just think all the big clubs are going to be under tons of scrutiny. And, and again, I don't think Man City is the only club that's kind of gaming the system. So right. we'll have to see what happens. So some good Champions League action uh, this week. The, the Dortmund win, uh, come from behind win, I think, against PSG, a two to one. Um, two goals by that 19-year-old Norwegian kid, Holland. Uh, God, great player. And uh, one of the assists was from Gio Reyna. Uh, yeah. who only 17 years old. So, uh, so some a good 17, stuff. A 17 year old assisting a 19 year old. And, uh, the, this, an Aland, uh, Norwegian kid, obviously just looks incredible. I, again, you know, it's, it's an early, it's an early body of work, but I think he's the quickest player ever to score 10 champions league goals. Uh, much faster than Messi or Ronaldo to get to 10 Champions League goals. So that's wow. historical. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so much fun as a fan watching a young player emerge on the scene, on the big scene, and perform. And he's just Yeah, he, he hit a rocket with his left foot right in the upper 90 there. It was uh, – Did know. you see the net? Did you see the net basically – first of all, it didn't even look like he took a big wind-up. It was just an absolute dart into the back of the net. I watched uh, De Bruyne shoots like that. It's the quick yeah. release, the sort of snapshot. Yeah. But a snapshot with that much power yeah. is not seen a lot. <laughs> it was amazing. It's like a quick release. Yeah, yeah. And he but, comes but from with a power. Great, great pedigree, obviously. His dad was a world-class player and and, uh, and obviously Gio's dad. Claudio. Well, that's what I found so interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, here you have uh, – it's almost like 
you need to get the juice, all that information, all that, that sweet knowledge that a professional player has when you have your own kid. If he's got the athletic ability, you know, as a former pro, you can give him the knowledge. You know, you get a ball at his yeah. feet quick. And um, so it looks like uh, Claudia has done it here. Uh, no, so I, I, I really think, uh, and again, you know, we talked a little bit about Neymar uh, on last, the last podcast, but uh, PSG to me looks a little lost. I, I really yeah. think Dortmund's going to bounce him in this round. I mean, I just, they just look kind of all over the place. Neymar, again, is nursing a rib injury, so he couldn't really go at it 100%. And he was getting knocked off the ball. But I just – that club looks like a club that's kind of lost to me. I'm well, Sam, Sam, your point always is that, you know, when the league play is so easy, you're not, you're not battle-hardened for when you come to these Champions League games. Yeah, t- totally. Um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Grail, but I, I still think 2-1 is not insurmountable. Um, I don't know. Absolutely I just – yeah. I feel like they're going to prevail in the second leg. If anything, this is a wake-up call. Um, okay. You know, it's the first time they've had to really face a tough opponent in a long time. Yeah. I just think they have, you know, overall experience and the individual quality to do it. Um, but to back up a little, I think, you know, as impressive as uh, Aland is, um, you know, the Geo Reyna emergence, I think, is a really big deal, um, yeah. especially for us Americans. Um, at just 17 years old, I mean, he played, I think it was the last 20 minutes or so in this game. Yeah, that's what he's uh, been doing, typically. Yeah, had, had you know, I mean, Aland... Holland did a lot on his own for that goal, but you know the setup was pretty nice. I mean, he got a nice ball really quickly, yeah, it. right yeah. in the right spot, and yeah. I mean, just did not look out of place at all. And you know, people in the Italian media are even comparing him to uh, Kaká, saying he's got wow, wow. game, which wow. is you know a, a big comparison. But well, you um, wonder if he's going to get a call up too. Um, for the full national Yeah, team. you'd have to think so. Um, I don't know. How, how could you be performing at this level at Dortmund and not get a call-up? I mean, that's just extraordinary. Right. I just really like his his imagination. Uh, yeah. You know, as good a player as Pulisic is, I mean, he, he doesn't do things that I'm kind of like, wow, how, how did he think that up? Like, how did he even yeah. think to do that? He's just he's yeah. very technically gifted and he's very solid. But watching this kid, I don't know, he's got a lot of creativity and flair that uh, I think is missing from the U.S. team. So I, I was really pumped watching this. Yeah. His dad, you know, um, I played a little bit with Claudia and watched him play in the, the national championships and then with the national team. Claudia did not seem like an athlete. And, he, you know, he doesn't have a dominating presence uh, on the field look-wise, but he yeah. is always in the right position, always threaded a ball through, always had some great vision. And now, obviously, it looks like his son might have inherited that. So, uh, yeah, he understood the seams. You know, that's what I think is missing in the on the U.S. team is a right. player who sees the seams. You know, you see all the great international teams, and they've got that guy or two guys who just put it to the spot, and then a guy shows up, and you're like, oh, that's where he was going to, right? right? Mm-hmm. We don't have that guy. But, but then again, you need the guy on the other end who can make that run. Right. So I don't know that we have either of those things. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, I think Pulisic is, you know, ideally a wide player for yes, you know, Chelsea and the U.S. And Reyna looked like someone who was not afraid to, you know, receive the ball in the middle of the field, you know, dribble past people. Uh, yep. Just had a really calm, nice presence in there. I like yeah, Pulisic I outside as well because he's got that sort yeah. of slashing runs. He's got great pace. He cuts inside. Yeah. He makes things happen. Yes. Um, and he does dish off well, or he was. But, you know, my concern with Pulisic always was he looked a bit thin little spindly and the premier league will beat you up pretty quick. So uh, again, we're talking about Gio Reyna. Um, Looks like the Bundesliga is, is the place for American players to go or where they go back, where they work best. It seems Mm -hmm. like that, that system sort of 
even putting him in 20 minutes at a time, kind of getting his uh, feet wet yeah. you know, in certain games. So, uh, so that should be fun to watch. Uh, and uh, in other Champions League action, uh, uh, Atletico uh, beats Liverpool. I thought it was, uh, you know, they kind of got a little scrappy goal there in the beginning. That's actually Liverpool's worst nightmare. They gave yes. up a, a scrappy goal right early, and then uh, Atletico just parked the bus. So it's so rare to see Liverpool even go down in a match. I don't, I don't think they've been down in, in a match in the last 15 matches. They haven't played from behind. So that was something new and different. And uh, they're playing in the uh, – they're playing at, at Atletico with a, a, an incredible crowd. And, of course, you're dealing with uh, Diego Simeone, their coach, who uh, somebody did an estimate that he spent 2% of the match in his coaching box, which meant that the other 98% he was either on the pitch – or just roaming around. Yeah, how is that not addressed? I mean, the referee is right there on the sidelines. And, and it was—it's just funny that ever since the final whistle of that match, the amount of complaining and whining by the Liverpool players in terms of the antics of the Atletico players rolling around, time wasting, etc., the crowd, Simeone's behavior, the refereeing. Um, very unlike Liverpool. I, now again, I get it—they're not used to losing. Um, and I'm not saying Atletico gets the job done at Anfield, but it makes it very interesting. I mean, it well, makes it very intriguing going back to Anfield. Well, a couple of things. One, you know, one, they gave up a scrappy goal early. Yeah. Uh, a couple of tough calls against Liverpool, I have to say. And that home crowd, they, you know, Liverpool dominated possession. Uh, yeah. Atletico, Atletico just parked the bus. So it's a very frustrating yeah. afternoon for everybody, the fans and, and for Liverpool fans. And, and that's their style. That's, that's what Atletico does. So, I mean, you just don't want to go down a goal to them because they basically just hunker in or hunker down. And uh, they're very tough to penetrate. They're just a very tough – they're very well coached and they're very disciplined. So, you know, again, having seen Liverpool basically roll Barcelona in the follow-up leg to that Champions League match last year and winning 4-0, I could easily see Liverpool coming out and just pummeling them. They'll be they'll be fired yeah. up. But, but I mean, Atleti's tough. I, I agree. I, I don't think – you know, I still think Liverpool should be considered the favorite to go through. I mean, yeah. it's only 1-0. Uh, the, I mean, the only difference, I think, is it's not in Barcelona's DNA to play that kind of game. No. Um, whereas it's basically all Atletico have. Yes. Um, there, there was an interesting story, I don't know if you guys saw it, in the New York Times by Rory Smith saying that, you know, actually getting Liverpool was perfect for Atletico because they've been struggling this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're sort of struggling to make the leap from the, the team that just packs it in and counters and frustrates opponents to, you know, being a top level team that can carry the play. But uh, getting an opponent like Liverpool is perfect because they can sort of revert to that traditional identity. Yeah, um, and so, Simeone's had, I think, an 11 year run there. I think he's been there that long. He's had a pretty, success- yeah. when you think about it, a pretty successful run overall. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, a couple other things that stood out. You know, Liverpool didn't even get a shot on goal in this game, yep. uh, which is pretty uncharacteristic. I thought another thing that was interesting was um, the job Atletico did of taking away the flanks for Liverpool. Yes. Uh, yeah. Who really like to use Robertson and. Um, Alexander Arnold is almost yes. like playmaking wingbacks. And I think yes. if you make Liverpool's midfielders handle the ball uh, like the way they did, I, I just don't think they're that good at being creative and playmaking. They're better when they're That's, running forward into the box. I couldn't so they have a Nabi Nav- yeah. uh, 
you know, fills that role generally when the wings are cut down and, and the play well, has to come through the center. Yeah, and when you think about it, I mean, it all – they've got a great front three, obviously, as good as any in the world, but their back five, and I'm including the uh, – including Allison in that back five – it's all about it's all about counterattacking for them, right? Mm-hmm. And you're right, Sam. It all comes from the flanks, mm-hmm. and it's Robertson and Arnold dashing up the flanks and then serving a ball, 30, 35 yard ball, mm-hmm. to Firmino or somebody like that. And then next thing you know, goal, right? Mm-hmm. And you're so right. They did a great job of shutting that down. One of the few t- teams that's been able to do that this season. Yeah. All right. So Wednesday there were a couple of Champions League matches: uh, Spurs, Leipzig. You guys check the game out. Yeah, they, uh, that was obviously at home, and uh, Timo Werner for Leipzig, who's become a, a great player, I mean, is a great player unto himself. He scored on a, uh, on a penalty kick. And, you know, Spurs obviously has no Kane and they have no Son. You know, so two of their best players are on. Erickson's been traded. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I see Leipzig winning, essentially winning this uh, leg. I mean, you know, they got the away goal. They're in the driver's seat right now, and now, now they go home. So uh, I think Spurs is on the ropes. Right? Yeah, they don't seem to be. They just can't seem to catch their rhythm. I mean, they're actually doing pretty well in the, the Premier League. You know, they're only one point now behind Chelsea. But uh, I, I just think untimely injuries. I think Son is just a fantastic player, and he's never really gotten his due. But he's really – shined when Kane has been injured. He's been the go-to guy. And now you've got neither of them. It's going to be very challenging. Sam? Yeah, I, I had my eye on the other game, uh, the Atalanta-Valencia game, which uh, was notable for a, a bunch of reasons. Uh, Atalanta won 4-1. Um, this is, you know, Atalanta, whose wage bill, I think, is on par with Reading, who are in 15th place in the championship. <laughs> wow. Uh, nice, nice, have, nice call there. Have been pointing Numbers, out, man. Uh, well, I didn't point that out, but numerous people have on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're playing their Champions League games at the San Siro in Milan because their stadium uh, is being renovated and it's not up to UEFA standards yet. Um, and 44,000 people went to the game. Uh, the population wow. of Bergamo, the city where they're from, is 120,000. Uh, and third of the population at the game. We're not talking about a team that has you know vast support all over Italy. It's a very regional, provincial team. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and then, yeah, it's not lost on anybody that, you know, the San Siro, you know, maybe the most famous soccer stadium in the world, um, you know, has not hosted a Champions League round of 16 game for something like eight years. Um, and now, you know, they're playing there, but it's not Inter or Milan in the game. So, right. uh, there's a, a lot of, a lot of fun news stories around this one. Um, and yeah, and they won four one in a really wild open, really fun to watch game. Yeah, there were some good goals in that match. Sam. Yeah, I mean, they, this could have been some fantastic goals. And, yeah. uh, you know, despite the scoreline, it could have easily ended 5-4. I mean, the Atalanta sure. goalie made a lot of really good saves. And I don't think it's over. I think the return leg will be interesting. Okay. In the Premier League, uh, the one that caught my eye was Arsenal 4-0 over Newcastle. Has Arteta finally turned it around, boys? Well, it's Newcastle, so it's, uh, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're I'd, I'd call New, Newcastle is kind of an up and down club, so you have to, you have to measure it a little bit against that, but that, I think they are, look, they're playing much better, a much better style under Arteta, and I have to say this, is just, there, there is a certain camaraderie and joy on that team that I haven't seen in a long time. You know, the fact that Ozil is smiling at the end of a match is just, again, I think this is the second time I've seen it. Yeah, you know, and I've never been a fan of Ganduzi, 
And I think Arteta's yeah. taking him on a little bit too. It's uh, he slows things down. It seems. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I just don't like what he brings, and I like uh, what Ozil brings. You know, certainly yeah. a lot of people complain about him not running off the ball and uh, a few things, but but boy, we're talking about picking out seams like we were talking before about players have that ability. He has it, man. It's a it's well. That was his first goal in 25 games. He scored kind of a ho hum goal in the 89th minute, but again, that's a nice confidence builder for him. And yeah, they just you know they scored a couple goals that are we would call Arsenal goals but you're like, you know, five consecutive one-time passes and, you know, and, and then ends up with somebody tapping it in from close range. And, uh, yeah, so the, the thing that really just the biggest difference to me is just the team unity. It just looks like they're enjoying themselves, which, as you guys know, can make such a difference, right, just the chemistry of the team. Right. And, and, and I just think Arteta is just a very – seems like a very organized guy who's got a game plan. Well, a great player, and so he motivates his players. You know, you, you love to play for a great, great player like yeah. that. Um, now, I felt bad for you, Grail. Uh, I, I hate to be the one to bring up Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> you're the one who always brings it up. But, boy, I, I, I felt like they really outplayed Manchester United. But that's this is the game we love. And um, it seems like uh, Man United got a little lucky because they, they were dominated that first half, I thought. And yeah. You could um, argue that, that McGuire should have been sent off. I, I thought it was a kick. He pushed Yeah, it. well, I mean, th this is the problem with VAR is that, you know um, – there was an incident a few weeks ago in the Spurs Chelsea match where Son kicked out yep. and he was sent off. They reviewed it and he was sent off. And arguably it was less of a kick out than this one that happened to Maguire. Maguire actually kicked out and caught the guy right in the you know what's the so, jewels, um, yeah. It was terrible. Yeah, and so they replayed it and on the and, and Maguire after the match said, I thought he was falling on me. Um and uh, so I put my foot out instinctively to kind of make sure he didn't fall on top of me. It was it was a creative excuse, by the way. Jesus. Yeah, um, well, he had he had a, a good hour to think of that. At one yeah, but in any case, so they review it, and, and oddly, it was the same referee that refereed the Spurs uh, Chelsea match where the Son incident happened. Right. And the argument is, which I think is a good argument, is instead of sending it upstairs, the VAR team should say to the referee, "You need to look at this pitch side." And especially since it was the same referee, if the referee looks at that pitch side and he had made the decision to send off Son, he looks at that and I think he sends off McGuire because the incidents were eerily similar. Right. All right. Well, well good stuff. Lots to talk about. We're going to get to the U.S. men's national team, but let's save that. Uh, you know, I know every week, Grail, you like to talk about Chelsea and the Burhalter system. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll be talking to uh, SI.com's Grant Wall. So stick around. You're listening to Over the Ball. All right. Our guest this week is one of the world's leading soccer journalists. He joined Sports Illustrated in November of 1996. Wow. Long time ago as a reporter and was promoted to his current position of senior writer in October of 2000. Grant has covered 11 World Cups, six men's, five women's, should be really seven men's, and five women's, but only six men's and five women's and five Olympics for Sports Illustrated. Grant's first book, The Beckham Experiment, in 2009 was the first soccer book to make the New York Times bestseller list. His second book, 
Masters of Modern Soccer, out in 2018, is about the craft of soccer and covers position by position, including Christian Ballistic, uh, Chicharito, Vincent Company, Xavi Alonso. He also speaks conversational Spanish, which uh, we love. He's the host of Planet Football. What? There's, there's other podcasts besides ours. <laughs> ¿Qué tal contigo? ¿Qué pasa, mi amigo? What's happening? We're doing this in Spanish, right? <laughs> That's all I got, man. I just I just shot the whole thing there. That's all the Spanish I know. OTV in Espanol. Yo estudio la escuela para cuatro años. No vi bueno. F, F, F. Actually, it's pretty good. So, hey, Grant, let me ask you this. This just popped up. You have an article that came out today in SoccerAmerica.com about Jermaine. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. SI.com. Soccer America is one of our sponsors. Uh, Sports Illustrated isn't. But after they hear this interview, they will be. Um, about Jermaine Jones. And um, I don't know. There was some gunplay. Uh, sounds like a screenplay, actually. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on in Jermaine Jones's post-playing life out in L.A. And some of that's uh, been covered in TMZ, unfortunately, for him. I've written a lot about Jermaine and sort of his American transition over the years. Obviously, yeah. German-American player got very much more into his American side. Uh, after 20 years of no contact with his American father, he uh, met up with him and started a relationship with him back in 2010, right around the time he started playing for the U.S. men's national team. And ended up moving to Los Angeles after the 2014 World Cup, where he scored one of the great goals by a U.S. player ever in a World Cup against yeah. Portugal. And he really got into the Hollywood scene along with his wife, former Miss Germany. And he was posting pictures uh, on his Instagram back in those days of hanging out with Charlie Sheen and Chuck Liddell oh. and Jamie oh, Foxx. No. <laughs> and, and he really became part of that lifestyle out there and got connected. And then... Uh, obviously played three years in MLS, had uh, some good seasons uh, mm -hmm. at the end of his career, and um, and then stopped basically playing for the national team under Bruce Arena's tenure in, in 2017 was sort of the end for him. That mm -hmm. was also his last year as a player with the Galaxy. And so part of this story was catching up with Jermaine Jones, and he had gotten this coverage. Unfortunately for him and his wife, they broke up uh, back in 2018, uh, ended up being covered in TMZ because Jermaine had claimed publicly that their marriage had been broken up by a former Baywatch actor named David Charvet. Um, and then there were multiple restraining orders uh, against Jermaine uh, from Charvet and then from his wife, wife now ex-wife, uh, and uh, pictures that came out in TMZ of this AR-15 assault rifle that Jermaine oh, had bought. And that's part of what led to the restraining orders. Uh, at that point, Jermaine, who was, wanted to become a coach, he still does. He has his UEFA A license, which is no small thing. He has a, a USB license. He wants to become a coach. He was doing some uh, youth coaching work. When the restraining order happened, he lost his coaching job. Uh, and now there's sort of this fragile detente, as I put it in the story, between him and his wife, because the restraining orders are gone now. Uh, Jermaine does have 50-50 custody of their four kids together. Uh, he's trying to start, in addition to coaching, uh, new businesses. He has this concierge service, he calls it, in L.A., where European soccer stars come in the summer when they're off, and Jermaine sets up 
stuff for them to do in LA, cool stuff, like going to, as he put it, Puff Daddy's birthday party or the BET awards or getting them into, you know, VIP areas at yeah. clubs. Um, and Jermaine actually charges these guys for it. He said he used to do it sure. for free and guys used to just say, thanks, bro. And then he was like, no, you need to pay me. It's not just thanks, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one business he's got going. He's uh, trying to start a, another online business uh, involving uh, uh, physical fitness, uh, clothing and healthy meals. Um, so there's... I, I hope happening. I hope he uses someone else's money to, with these investments. I don't want to see Jermaine Jones. You know, he used to leave it on the field. I used to love to watch him play. So well, yeah, I, he's still know. he's still driving a Range Rover, uh, and yeah. he's newly oh, dating, according to his Instagram, uh, a former actress from the show Glee. Oh, nice. Uh, Leah Michelle, maybe. Well, well, but, you whenever, know, whenever I hear the words VIP and concierge, by the way, I go to dark places because those businesses sound very very <laughs> iffy. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, you know, but Grant, you're you're talking about Jermaine. I think for the first twenty years of his life, right, didn't wasn't in contact with his father, the American father. Now this is like such a typical American story, especially one that goes to L.A. Let me ask you: Did he? I thought he was going to play somewhere else after L.A., but he didn't want to leave, right? Right. So he ended up playing indoor soccer last year for this team called the Ontario Fury. And literally the day I interviewed Jermaine, Jermaine in LA, he, that was, he was, that was his last day of his playing career of 21 years. He had met up with the coach for the Fury about playing this year. And according to Jermaine, uh, this coach thinks he's Mourinho, but he's not. And, uh, and Jermaine had a deal last year, he said. Mourinho isn't even Mourinho. <laughs> uh, Jermaine had a deal last year, he said, where he never had to train. He just had to show up for the games. And, like, this coach actually wanted him to show up every day. And Jermaine was like, nah, man, it doesn't work that way. So that was he was retiring from play. Well, well he had to go out and get the AR-15. He doesn't have time to be doing stuff like that. But, uh, also, the, the indoor league, is it's tough on the body. That really is. Oh. And I think, you know, he's, he's had a lot of miles on those legs. So, um, hey, you know, hey, I'm hey, surprised hey, he did it. Grant, one thing from a playing career of Jermaine Jones, you know, I was always a big fan of his. And I always felt that that was when he left the U.S. men's national team, I always felt that there was a hole there because he provided this slightly rec reckless, very intimidating force in the middle. And I felt like ever since he left, they didn't have that. I mean, he, he could be out of control sometimes, but, but because of that, the opposition feared him. I mean, yeah. it was like, is Jermaine like behind me right now? Yeah, he was a, he was a human AR-15. That was the <laughs> exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah, no, I'd just love to hear your take on that, Grant. I mean, it, do you agree that, that they've kind of missed that presence? Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Jermaine was always on the edge. And when he was yeah. at his best with the U.S. men's national team right around 2014 World Cup, he was getting yellows, but not too many, wasn't mm -hmm. getting reds, and, and opposing teams were scared of him. Yeah. And the only thing that's remotely close to that that we've seen since Jermaine left the U.S. men's national team is the couple of times Alfredo Morales has played. He's been sort of a, a poor man's Jermaine Jones, yeah. uh, very poor man's Jermaine Jones, which is yeah. why he hasn't played that much. But uh, <laughs> that edge, uh, this U.S. team is, is not nasty. Not guy. at all. You know, I think they miss Jeff Cameron as well, because Jeff had that a little bit as well in the center of the park. So. Um, the two of them were, you know, were quite intimidating. That's what you want from your, your center backs, you know, that kind of thing and, and the ability to link up. So uh, the desire that Jermaine had 
is something we all miss in the national team right now. So we'll, we'll get to the national team because you've written some great articles. You're pumping them out. So uh, we're, it's given us a lot of fodder here on the show. Talk a little bit about uh, Man City's Champions League ban, uh, $30 million, but it's pending an appeal. Would they actually go through with this? I mean, I'm treating it right now as this is the ruling, right, from UEFA as of now. You know, Man City will appeal it, but this is a two-year ban from European competition, including Champions League. It is literally the biggest story, in my opinion, of this entire season, maybe along with Liverpool, the biggest off-field story. And this could fundamentally reshape the European game, right, where we're talking yeah. uh, all the time these days about the polarization of the 1% from the rest of, of European soccer. And Man City is front and center uh, with their ownership and everything they've done with that team, the amount of money that's been spent uh, over the last decade. And, and they put together, obviously, an amazing team. They've won several Premier League titles. They've got Pep Guardiola. They haven't won the Champions League, mm -hmm. but still. And so that to me is going to be just a fascinating story to follow but what uefa is doing and i was totally surprised that they had the guts uefa to to really do this i didn't think they would i thought that they would sort of in the end give a free pass to man city like they did to psg a while back right and that's not what happened here now man city's going to appeal yep. and that becomes a very big question because they've got un unlimited amounts of money. They'll get amazing lawyers and they will pursue this, not just at the court of arbitration for sport, but they'll go to court court uh, in Switzerland right. if they have to. Um, but UEFA, on the other hand, I think wants to, to fight for financial fair play, which mm -hmm. they instituted several years ago. And if this ruling gets completely erased on appeal, I think financial fair play might die as well, and that would have a huge yeah. impact on the European game. Grail? Yeah, yeah, Grant, I'm thinking that UEFA went kind of big with the two-year, thinking that they might, if they got one year, that would even be a pretty big deal. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens. But obviously, you know, maybe the even bigger deal is, like you were saying, you know, the impact it has on retaining players. Yeah, the exodus, will there be an exodus? Who might be coming up on a contract, uh, like an Aguero or somebody like that. And then also just the ability to get players who might just say, mm, I don't know if I want to touch this. And even though Pep is saying, I'm all in for next year, you know, things can change. So I'm curious what you think about that aspect of it, because you're right. I mean, that could shift things in a major way. Yeah, I, I think player the ability to acquire players and keep players is going to be a huge issue for man city especially if this punishment is upheld or even if it's just one year i mean like players careers are limited and they want to sure. go to places at least the top players where they can play in uefa champions league and if they can't do that at city i think it's going to make things really hard i think you're seeing manchester united by not being in champions league has lost out on on some good players including erling holland uh, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, things can change very quickly in, in European soccer, especially if there's a chance you're not going to play in Champions League. They're going to they're going to fight this one, I guarantee. Well, obviously fight it, but I think UEFA is going to hold hold true. So we'll see. It's going to go to court, and I think you're probably right, uh, Grail. Maybe a year still looks like a victory. It's kind of yeah. like the Roger the Roger Stone of uh, of jury findings there. So, yeah, yeah, and then the ramifications too of the the fifth place team in the EPL would essentially become the team that qualifies for Champions League, right? A lot so, of money. Right? Yeah. 
which also I think makes the rest of the season a little more interesting mm -hmm. in terms of what's happening in the top four slash top five now, sure. right? because obviously Liverpool seems to have won this thing and uh, that takes some of the drama out. Yep. Um, some other legal issues going on. Uh, PSG chief is in hot water for the TV rights for the World Cup with uh, Jerome Valky. Seems like a lot of roads lead back to Valky. I mean, all the Sounds corruption. Like it's unbelievable. It's like I know. <laughs> well, you know, Bladder and, and Valky, they just had their hands in every cookie jar. And, you know, the only defense is for some of them is that it was cultural and this is the way business was done. Uh, which is bizarre to me, uh, kind of a weird defense. So uh, what are your thoughts on that, Grant? Well, I, I think it's, you're right about Jerome Valk, and this was the former general secretary, the number two guy at FIFA for several years under Seth Blatter. And I think a lot of the time, uh, the impression is given that the, uh, the people in, uh, you know, in, who are corrupt in FIFA are oh it's the guys in africa and it's the guys in south america and yeah. actually it's the french guy here as well who <laughs> was the number two guy at fifa uh, who, who like just clearly uh was living the life had quite a lifestyle uh 18 months living rent-free in sardinia or something you know yeah, Which we've I all mean, had the opportunity to do. Great. In a crazy expensive apartment in Rio when they were getting ready for the, the Brazil World Cup. Uh, and, and just flat out old fashioned bribery for some of these TV rights deals. So um, I, what I'm seeing to, you know, more recently, last day or so, though, are articles saying that, well, FIFA is not necessarily pursuing it anymore because Nasser El Khalifi, the president mm -hmm. of PSG, who's been implicated in this bribery scheme, um, well, he, he paid a fee, a sum of money to FIFA, but that's, <laughs> what I mean, does that mean? well, that means you steal 10 million and give it like a bribe, <laughs> you know, like, like money seems to be the only language that these yep. guys understand. Right. And it's, it's totally shameless. And so, yeah. And, and you know, this is the Qatari group that runs PSG It's the yeah. Abu Dhabi guys who are running Man City. Um, and it's, it just never seems to end. It's endless. And, yeah. I was just going to say it's endless. Grant. And the Qatari group grant is tied into BN, BN media. Yeah. Right. And that's also the problem that keeps surfacing across multiple sports is conflicts of interest where you have owners and stuff that also have stakes in media companies, um, where they can kind of control the Conflict negotiations and steer business their way. Well, what people need to understand is, is that being sports around the world, especially in the Middle East, but also in France, is not nearly the sort of small time being that we see here in the United sure. States. And yeah. so they wield a lot of influence. Nasser Khalifi, the PhD president, who's also on the UEFA executive committee, which is shady, so uh, you know, is behind the guy for being, but with all of this money behind it. And so has a tremendous amount of influence on things with that, that TV money. And you see the results even here in the U.S. I mean, you guys were probably as surprised as I was when La Liga mm -hmm. extended its contract with Bean in the U.S., knowing that yeah. that made no sense from a market perspective. They right. should have gone to ESPN Plus or someplace sure. where, which people actually get. And watch, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, any, like the reason I'm told that that, deal got extended with being in the u.s was because 
La Liga wanted to maintain its relationship with Big B in around the world. Yeah, and remember, remember too, when uh, Grant, when that World Cup uh, deal was extended with Fox, that was done behind. And, and by the way, I don't. I know that you work for Fox. So, no, 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 I don't but full, anymore. No, I don't. But full, no, but full disclosure. So, um, no, but in any case, that was kind of a blind bid. That was nobody was even given an opportunity to bid on it. Fox right. and the world and FIFA basically said, "Hey, are you? We're interested in maybe extending it," and it was just done. Correct? Well, I can tell you. I can tell you what happened here yeah. was this is all connected to moving the Qatar World Cup in twenty two to November December from the summer. So yeah. Fox had already gotten those rights for twenty twenty two through a bid process, an open bid process, but then. The Murdochs and Fox said to FIFA, oh, you guys are moving the World Cup in Qatar to November, December, and that's really bad for us because that's during football season in the United States, and our ratings are going to take a severe hit. Mm -hmm. So we're going to sue you, FIFA, unless you do something to make good on this. Mm -hmm. And so what FIFA ended up doing was then deciding to unilaterally award in a you know, no-bid process, award the 26 rights to Fox for mm -hmm. English Language World Cup in the United States. At that point in time, we weren't sure that it was going to be a World Cup in North America. Now sure. we know that's the case, and so that's going to be extremely valuable for Fox. This is where I say I worked for Fox for seven years from 2012 to 2019. I no longer do, um, but that's what happened. Okay. What, you bring an AR-15 to the office or something? What happened? Trey Barrow, Jermaine. So, I tell you, uh, Grant, one article you you, uh, you wrote recently uh, just lit up the OTB panel here uh, with your criticism of Klinsman. Um, a couple of things. One, I think he said that um, he felt that if he was still hadn't lost the job as a head coach of the U.S. men's national team, he would have brought the team to the semifinals. I, dis I disagree with that strongly, but also he left uh, another coaching job and prematurely and very early. Talk about that. Well, that's the, the news peg, right? Is that Klinsman was in charge of Hertha Berlin uh, as their coach for literally 10 games. I think it was like 80 days. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they got a lot of new money behind that team, but they're also fighting relegation in the Bundesliga. So Klinsman comes in and in January, they spend more than $80 million on players, more than with, any other club in, in the world. With him there. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And, and then like a week later, literally a week later, you've got Jurgen Klinsmann resigning, saying that he doesn't feel supported, which that's crazy. That's delusional. Yeah, yeah. You know, almost as delusional as thinking you can get the U.S. men to the semis of the World Cup. Uh, unless he didn't have any, any say in who was, who was taken, maybe. So the players that were picked, he may not have had a ton of say he right. like Klinsman. Part of his issue, he said, was that, well, I want to have more power. I prefer an English style manager system where there's not a director of football who's in charge of the transfers. I prefer to have the manager be in charge of the transfers. And what's hilarious about that, what he did here, is that I mean, just... that's, that's being viewed in recent years as totally outdated, even in England, where you see more and more teams getting directors of football who control transfers mm -hmm. and coaches coach. Yeah. Because there's too much going on in the modern game for a coach. Like you can't do Sir Alex Ferguson anymore right. where that guy's in charge of all the transfers. So um, so Klinsman's basically spewing nonsense and is petulant and 
and really is leading a, a wake of destruction at, at her to Berlin, which is why, and I, I don't want to make this personal, I actually don't hate Jurgen Klinsmann. He's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. as a coach, he's a total con man. He's, but look, this story parallels his time here at the U.S. men's national team. And he's, you know, Mike Wojtola talks about it in Germany, where, where Jurgen Klinsmann is from. They're known as great negotiators. And I can see that. Like, he, he you know, Sunil, I think, got beat up a little bit with the contract negotiations because he had all those jobs. He wanted complete power. He wanted complete control. And he was probably doing that uh, there. And, uh, and, and so they left. So we've, we've heard this story before. And now it's, it's always someone else's fault. It's like my ex-wife. It's, uh, everything's wrong and it's someone else's fault. <laughs> well, 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 one, well, yeah, one of the things he said, guys, is when he went into Hertz, he started talking about Champions League. Now, right. you, uh, Grant, you know the history of Hertha. I think they're a mid to lower level Bundesliga team, right? I mean, they've never, they've never really challenged for the, the top spot or anything so the idea that you know he could come in and suddenly make them into a viable champions league team you would think if i was the person doing the interviewing that might be a disqualifying statement but he, you're right the con man managed to con yeah Again. yeah i mean like i would i don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that Hertha could become a, a top four team like even season or two ago they they were near there but somebody's spending that money too. uh but to have this much new money in the team yeah uh i i, I could see that happening um potentially but you know jurgen klinsman's experience at club level is not exactly oh, uh yeah. covered in glory right so i mean true. like back at uh when he was at bayern munich very short very tenure short. there about a decade ago and, and ends up being fired and very mild-mannered guy like Philip Lom just torching Klinsman, yeah. basically calling him a fraud as a coach in his book. And, uh, and so you see that and, and, you know, Klinsman ends up going on to get the U.S. job, but he hadn't really coached club soccer before. He had a, a, an experience in MLS where he was a consultant for Toronto FC, uh, made some terrible moves there Aaron Winter was hired as coach that was a disaster um and so if you look at Klinsman's resume at the club level I don't see why anyone would ever hire him as a national team coach I think he has had some what you would call mm -hmm. success in his resume 2006 World Cup uh with Jurgi Lowe right there no I know but I mean like yeah. I, I I'm not somebody who thinks that Klinsman did nothing with that yeah. and and I think 2014 with the U.S. has to be considered overall See, yeah. I, I don't. I, I think it's I overall, think it's a failure. I think yeah, it, I, no, in, yeah. in, in my opinion, like the U.S. is in a position at the World Cup where results are still what matters most. And so sure. getting out of a right. very difficult group and getting to the round of 16 where, yes, they were totally outplayed and, and embarrassed in a sense by, uh, by Belgium, but still mm -hmm. – if Wando, but if, if Wando, Wando finished first, that goal, yeah. I was just going to say, know, he looked so, like a genius, yeah. So, yeah, at that point in time, I think Jurgen could probably look at his U.S. tenure and say, you know, I did a decent job here. But it was the three years after that with the U.S. that were really bad. And, and Klinsman right. should have been fired probably after the 2015 Gold Cup. He wasn't. And a lot of bad things happened in that stretch that set up the failure to qualify for World Cup 2018. Right. Well, I mean, Arena, you know, was he, he assumed the team. Yeah, well, he, you know, he was in a buried a little bit there. So, um, uh, so, 
another article. You're busy writing. Your fingers are all calluses. Um, MLS versus League MX. Uh, you had a nice article in soccer, uh, SI.com. Sorry, comparing both leagues. Um, what's your take? I think right now there's a lot of talk, even more so south of the border in the media, where they see top Mexican players signing with MLS, whether it's Carlos Vela, Chicharito Hernandez, uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, and also other players who maybe aren't Mexican going from Liga MX to MLS. Um, And and there's several examples of that this season that like Edison Flores, uh, Lucas Zellerayan, Osvaldo Alanis, Pizarro is another example of that. Um, So, you know, like they're seeing MLS teams spending a a lot of money on players from south of the border. So that said, what do we see when there's actually been real competition in CONCACAF Champions League between MLS teams and Liga MX teams? It's been mm-hmm. complete and total domination by the Mexican teams. Mm-hmm. Like literally, MLS has not mm-hmm. won CONCACAF Champions League since it went mm-hmm. to a league format. Mexico's won every single event over the last decade. And so here we are again, getting back into the knockout rounds of CCL. and Ike, anyone who says that MLS has caught up to Liga MX is as delusional as Jurgen Klinsmann. The season doesn't help them, right? The timing of the season? I mean, the I'm players... done giving excuses for MLS yeah, teams. Yeah. Just, just yeah. go and win. Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. and win. Um, Another point you made, Grant, in that article was about, you know, each league is a potential launch pad to Europe. So what are, what are the similarities and differences you see there? Yeah, I mean, like, there's this discussion – lately now that I don't think is being totally framed right. We're seeing like, oh, like, is MLS a better launch pad to Europe for players than Liga MX? And I don't think it's that necessarily. But what's happened that's actually changed, which is the story to me, is that in the last couple of years, young promising players, whether they're from Mexico or South America, are coming to MLS more and more, and they can make that move to Europe from right. MLS. And Miguel Almiron is the shining example of that. A guy who, you know, in his early 20s went to Atlanta United, played for Tata Martino, won a championship, and then got sold for, what, like $30 million to yeah. Newcastle United. And so you've seen Ezequiel Barco, uh, PD Martinez, South American Player of the Year, go to Atlanta to try and, and do that as well. And then guys going to LAFC like Diego Rossi or Brian Rodriguez. Um, and so that to me is the story here. And Pizarro wants to go to, to Europe. I think you can still very much go from Liga MX to Europe. That's what Chucky Lozano did. I mean, like right. lots of guys have done that. So um, I just wanted to sort of reframe that debate in the sense that I think it's a good sign for MLS that they're getting that young talent. And if you have a choice of signing a rising 21-year-old who's on his way to Europe or a 33-year-old European player with a big name, I kind of like that more and more we're seeing the young guy who's trying to prove himself and get sold to Europe. I also always said MLS has strengthened our region as well. So when we have to qualify for the World Cup, you give all these players that are – you know, getting some great time and, and, uh, and money here in the United States. Also, we had a, uh, an executive from Univision on uh, two weeks ago, Rick Resnick, about the numbers. Uh, the numbers are really high. The Mexican national team plays here more than they play in Mexico. I mean, there's a, there's a, huge, there's a huge play here. And it's, like you said, Grant, I think there's just another, it's another avenue for players to be seen. 
Yeah, and then the trends are really fascinating to me. I mean, like we, we've known for a while that the Mexican national team is the most popular soccer team in America. <laughs> uh, that's just factual, you know. You know? That, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. Um, and but like what's happening recently is is also interesting to me that even the television ratings in the U.S. for the U.S. national teams, men yeah. mostly men, but sometimes yeah. women, but mostly men are higher now. The TV audiences are higher on Spanish language TV in the U.S. than on English language TV. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not just when they're playing Mexico either. That's all the time. And, right. and so if you wonder why I'm trying to do more work in Spanish these days, uh, that's the where the audience is. Yeah. It's the future. Hey, Grant, on paper, the Chicharito signing just seems perfect on so many levels. Uh, going to L.A., that market, the ability to sell jerseys, all that stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts about that in terms of his ability to just kind of come in and become the darling of, of the market? Will he have the Beckham effect there? I mean, to me, it's a Beckham light type yeah, yeah. deal yeah. Uh, in the sense of, I think, more than any other MLS signing in the history of the league besides Beckham, that Chicharito combines this off-the-field appeal and ability to really move the needle potentially on attendance and TV ratings. Uh, in addition to what he can bring on the field. And yeah. I don't think he's washed up. I think, he'll, I think he could very easily get 20 goals this season sure. uh, and probably should for, yeah. for the Galaxy. But and I, think, I think his style fits in with MLS too. You know, he's an opportunist. Uh, you know, he, he hustles. It's, uh, it should be interesting. Yeah. I mean, if, I, if you read the chapter of my book on Chicharito, I spent yes. a couple of years doing interviews with him uh, about how he plays the forward position. Yeah. And it's a very – anticipatory way that he plays and he tries to get to the spots first that's why it's always been a pattern people think he scores garbage goals but he he senses where to to go to right. get those garbage goals so it's not just luck or anything like that yeah. that's I mean, a gift he, that's a he, gift he's, he, yeah he's kind of on the line all the time kind of almost you know uh just tempting offsides but i think that's what makes him such an effective striker almost like a jamie vardy it's the same idea where you, the timing of your runs are just so critical. And, uh, and, and he just has that innate ability to get, you know, to get just a step on a guy, but manage to stay on side. And I think he can do that in MLS. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, I think in comparison to Ibrahimovic, he's, he's like the opposite in the box in terms of like static versus moving. Yeah. And I love Ibra. And obviously yeah. he scored more than 30 he goals last year. And he was fun in terms of what he said uh, to the media and all that. But in terms of how those guys fit in with the rest of the Galaxy team, I think Chicharito is a slightly better fit. I think he's mm -hmm. going to defend a little bit. So much about the modern game these days is having 11 players who try to defend. Watch, and, li watch Liverpool, you know, you're watching right. your, your strikers. Yeah. So um, talking about the Mexican national team, the really the national team here in the United States and all of our futures are pinned upon it. Um, the JV team here, the U S men's national team. Uh, we, we talk every week about the Burhalter system. Uh, a lot of players coming in and out. We're having some luck overseas. What, what are your thoughts on the team and, and how Burhalter's doing so far? You know, the, this is a year that gets really important at the end of the year when you've got six World Cup qualifiers. Um, but, like, you would like to see between now and then, or including then, Burhalter's U.S. team beat a team that it's not supposed to beat. Mm -hmm. Because we yeah, haven't yeah. really seen that yet. And 
Uh, we've seen a, an example or two, obviously, uh, against Canada that lost up in Toronto last year, where the U.S. lost to a team it wasn't supposed to lose to. So um, I don't think the sky is falling on the U.S. men's team right now, right. but I also think uh, when you look at, at the year ahead, you need to get guys healthy, right? I mean, like, yeah. uh, the best players – on this team, the, the, the pillars of this team are Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. And all three of those guys have been dealing with injuries at various times. Right now, Pulisic's still out. Adams is out again. Uh, McKinney's just getting back going. Tim Weah just got hurt again. Yeah. Um, Stefan. Yep. You know, yeah. And even, like, older guys like Michael Bradley, he's out for months. Sure. Um, and so – I wonder if he's out for good now with an injury. Could be. That. Yeah. I mean, uh, they still – I feel – he gets a lot of heat, but I still feel they don't have someone to replace him in the work that he does. So Yeah, yeah, and you'll need some experienced guys, Grant, for that qualifying run, right? You can't just have all newbies out there learning the system on the run. I mean, that's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, and, you know, like these six games all happen in a very short time frame later this year. These qualifiers mm – -hmm two in September, two in October, two in November, and we'll have a very good idea by then if the U.S. is going to be in a position to qualify for 22. Well, speaking, Grant, like you're saying about the U.S. beating a team they're not supposed to, which happens pretty rarely, um, I really liked your tweet about Diego Simeone and the U.S. national team, and I'm wondering oh, why. I would love that. I would love that. They would be such a good fit potentially down the road. It's funny because I've heard over the years people say, oh, wouldn't it be great if Pep Guardiola coached the U.S. men's national team? And I'm like, I'd rather have Simeone. I mean, like, Pep would just be frustrated, frustrated the entire yeah. time that yeah. he had players who couldn't do what he wanted them to do. Whereas Simeone, like, fits in with, like, this American identity. When the U.S. men's national team has been at its best, it's, it's been when you've got a team that's better than the sum of its parts, a team that relies on a couple of, of talented, like skill players, but a lot of athleticism, mm -hmm. um, a team that's hard to play against. You know, that's what we saw in, in 2010 and 2002, uh, to an extent in 2014. And Simeone's the guy if you want to play that way. Now, Right now, he'd never get hired by U.S. soccer because he doesn't speak English, you right. know, like, which is ridiculous, by but, the way. But, Grant, we just were talking about the Spanish invasion here, so we got it. It's, uh, we, we should embrace it. I'm, I'm all for Simeone. I thought it was a great tweet, Grant. <laughs> um, I, I just got to say thanks for joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, you really kind of fuel the whole conversation here nationally with what's going on in soccer, and, uh, and we look forward to it. Grant Wall, thanks for joining us on OTB. My pleasure, guys. All right, we're back on OTB. Guys, love talking to Grant Wall. We, uh, the time just kind of flew by with him. There's a lot to, uh, lot to talk about there. I miss him. He's not on Fox anymore. It seems like uh, Fox lost a lot of the soccer coverage. So uh, Grant is pumping out all those articles that he's we a, love to read. He's a found of, uh, found of soccer knowledge, and I, and I loved the uh, – he was the first to kind of get out there and take a two-by-four to Klinsman's head. Right after that resignation, so well, and I love I, so, I applauded Grant for that. <laughs> he's so he's so prolific. I would like to get uh, 
Grant on one side of a table and Mike Wartola on the other side, and let's have a write-off. See who can might write more soccer articles at once. Yeah. Maybe throw Paul, throw Paul Kennedy in there as well. So yeah. uh, speaking of Paul Kennedy and um, Mike Wartola, we have our Soccer America trivia question that I'm going to ask you, you boys. Um, sure. You ready? You ready, guys? I think and so. You, the winner gets, guess what? Nothing. You nice. get nothing. And you will like it. You will get nothing and like it. Uh, how did uh, Javier Hernandez get his nickname? Chicharito? Chicharito, yeah. How did he get that nickname? Little P, I believe, is what it means, but I don't know exactly where it came from. Now, how do you know that? Do you speak Spanish? Uh, un poquito. Un poquito, isn't it? And, yes. and uh, Sam, can you speak Spanish? I know you can speak Italian. I, I speak very little Spanish. I knew that was his nickname, but um, not because I speak Spanish, just because I've heard it. But I, I thought no at one point during the, uh, gr the Grant Wall segment that we may do that entire segment in Spanish, actually. I know. Well, he, can, well, yeah, he could have done it. Grant going back and forth. And, wow. Oh, yeah, my Spanish. Uh, well, well, Sam and I have always talked about this, too. I just, you know, the whole Spanish thing drives me crazy because, you know, if you're announcing the game in English and you say, do you say Mexico or do you say Mexico? I, so it's like kind of annoys me. It's always been a bee in your body. Oh, it really has. <laughs> really has. Hey, and guys, I just want to say something quickly. I was checking out uh, some stuff in Soccer America about the leading MLS scores going way, way back. And I'll just go back to 2001. It was uh, uh, Alex Pineda. Then it was Carlos Ruiz. And then you had a couple of Americans. You had uh, Car um, Eddie Johnson one year. Listen, just be patient. You had Eddie Johnson, <laughs> then Taylor Twelman, Jeff Cunningham. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Donovan, Cunningham, Wondolowski. So you had a lot of American scorers there, uh, mostly American from 2001 to 2010. And then 2011, it's Dwayne Rosario, Di Rosario, Wondolowski again in 2012. But then after that, Americans kind of go, go south. You got uh, Camilo in 2013, Bradley Wright Phillips, then Sebastian Javinko, Bradley Wright Phillips again, uh, and Nikolic in, in uh, Chicago. Martinez in 2018 and Carlos Vela last year. So yeah. an American has not been there for the last uh, five or six years. So um, I don't know. Wanda's one, 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 of the, one, one of those mysterious guys who was just always great for club and just never got it together for country. No, I love that kid. He, he did. Well, I, I don't did, think. He, I just never thought he delivered for the U.S. Men's National. Oh, he scored goal after goal in MLS. He was always never, in the right place. But never but I think, important goals for the men's national team. He, well, I think um, if you look you know, we talked about it with uh, with Grant. If he had scored that goal, which is a goal that he always scores, uh, eight out of ten times. Uh, By the way, it was more it was more difficult not to score that goal, Flinny, than to oh. score. So and anyway, was, look, I, I'm, the, I'm giving props to Wando because no, but he was on the goal a, line. He was like two yards out when he right, hit right. that ball over. I don't even know how it was possible. Well, the ball had quite a spin on it, my friend. Oh, for God's uh, one of those guys. So, um, <laughs> all right. So, guys, uh, games this weekend. What are we watching? I'll be First checking Chelsea. out Fiorentina Milan on uh, of course. Saturday afternoon. Right, wait, this is what I'm going to say. I ask you guys what your favorite games are. <laughs> I know that Sam's going to go Syria A in some Italian <laughs> and, and pronounce the name in Italian after he knows it annoys me. But And then, Grail, I'm going to anticipate you're going to go with Spurs Chelsea. Just go yeah, figure. Well, it is, it is the battle for fourth place. So if Chelsea's holding on by a fingernail, by a point to fourth place, Spurs – 
can take over a fourth place. So it, it does have, it is a match that has big ramifications. All right. I'm looking forward to Leicester city, man city. So, uh, oh, so good one. some good stuff happening this weekend. Yeah. All right, boys, that's all the time we have on over the ball. I'd like to thank our guest grant wall from SI.com. He's got some, uh, some great books out there too on soccer. I've enjoyed reading them. Uh, and like yeah. I said, the one in Beckham was the first time a soccer book. Beckham actually, experiment. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually hit the uh, New York times bestseller list. So uh, we appreciate him jumping on uh, over the ball. All right. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.